Hey, Beth. I didn't know if you'd be able to answer or not. Um, just wanted to see what you were doing. I'll see how work was going. All right, I love you. Have a good night, baby. See you when I get home. And uh, try to get working on those tacos. <laughs> All right. Love you, baby girl. See you in a little bit. Bye. That's my favorite voicemail that I have from him because, first of all, because of his little laugh in it, but also because he was so obsessed with my tacos and my cooking in general, and I just love it. Hey everyone, it's Kristen from Three Dumb Blondes. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than what we're normally going to do, but I kind of just wanted to make a special episode for Timmy, um, who was my boyfriend who passed away on April 15th of this year. Um, He is my whole inspiration behind doing this and forcing Cody and Michaela to get involved with me. So I just kind of want to share stories with you and kind of explain how who he was and how he was as a person and kind of tell you how we met and all that stuff. So I'm going to start with how we met. So I was living with roommates and I had made a Tinder just for fun, just to see what would happen. So I was talking to a few different guys, nothing was going anywhere. And the part that kind of always made us feel like it was fate was we he obviously was on tinder my radius was set like super low because i didn't want to date someone that lived far away and he lived about 80 miles away from me so what happened was my best friend and i had taken our kids to an amusement park down by where he lived and I hadn't used Tinder at all because well, we're at, we're at an amusement park with our kids. So like we're not using our cell phones, but there also was absolutely no service there. So I couldn't even if I wanted to. So she left her wallet on top of her car and she got a Facebook message from the local de- police department in that area and said, um, somebody on a motorcycle found your wallet and brought it to us so she first of all was like thank god (laughs) and second she was like uh let's have someone watch the kids tomorrow and we'll go shopping and we'll go out to eat and whatever so we go out to eat and i remember coming across his tinder profile but i swiped left because it said gym rat and I don't know if anyone else is like this but when somebody's dating profile says anything about the gym I'm like oh hell no like first of all nobody that goes to the gym wants wants to deal with all this like I'm not gonna go to the gym I'm gonna eat a whole pizza like no so I remember coming across his profile but my snapchat name was on my profile And I didn't even put two and two together until we were talking for a while. And I was like, I can't find like your, I can't find your Tinder. And so he sent me a screenshot of it. And I said, oh yeah, I remember. 
Begley, remember? I was like, I came across it when we were out eating that day. But I was like, I swiped left on you because you said about going to the gym all the time. (laughs) And so it was just fate. Like, you know, I only had come across his profile because of her leaving her wallet and he had only come across mine because of that and then we didn't even match so it was just we felt like it was fate so we how we ended up hanging out was we were talking for a while and we just kind of clicked and the thing about Timmy is he kind of was just the kind of person that everyone could relate to and everyone could get along with and everybody knew him and loved him and his presence was just known because he was very genuine but he was very funny and very charismatic and he wasn't like disgusting like he wasn't a douche like none of that stuff so we were talking and I was like oh I kind of like him and I didn't know if we'd ever hang out or anything but how we ended up going on a date was he what would message me after work every day And I had went up to visit my mom for a couple days and he got off work and he messaged me on Snapchat and he was like, how are you? Um, What are you doing today? Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I'm at Red Robin with my mom and my grandma right now. And I was like, maybe you should take me out to Red Robin someday. And he said, well, I was thinking more Texas Roadhouse. And I was like, OMG, like, I'm going to marry this guy. Texas Roadhouse is my favorite restaurant of all time. And I remember saying to him, like, how did you know Texas Roadhouse is my favorite restaurant? And he was like, well, it's everyone's favorite restaurant. And he's not wrong. But um, so... I met up with him at his house and we rode to Texas Roadhouse and it was about 20-25 minute drive and it was never awkward like I'm nervous the whole way there you know I've never done this before I had been with the same person since I was a teenager um and it was just not awkward like we just clicked and Part of that is because of the way that he is with everyone because he just has a way about him not making things awkward and not being uncomfortable and he was rapping along to songs on my radio and things like that so he was just so fun and so funny and so nice and genuine and I kind of pride myself in being a good judge of character and I've actually had people comment that to me that like you know you knew that girl was bad news but like I didn't and you were right and I've just had people tell me like you're a very good judge of character and like I feel that way too 
so I like always I never like know why I feel a certain way about someone but then I always end up being right like if I feel like they're not like exactly like a good person like I kind of like sense that in a weird way so I like knew right off the bat I was like wow like I really like this guy he's like genuine and he we talked the whole time and we went back to his house and we watched movies all night long and we watched movies and I just remember the whole time thinking like when do I leave? Do I tell him I have to leave? Do I ask him if he wants me to leave? Does he want me to leave? Like the whole time I'm just nervous about this. From the time I get there, I'm like, how do I even leave? How do I make my exit? And it was around like midnight and I'm like, so, um, you know, just let me know when you want me to leave. And he said, well, actually, like, I was kind of hoping you would stay. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) And eventually we fell asleep like 10 movies in the night. And the whole next day we got up, we ate and we went back to his house and we watched movies the whole rest of that day. And I left midnight, Sunday night, Monday morning, whatever you want to call it at midnight. And I was like, I really like do have to leave tonight because, (laughs) because I have to work tomorrow. So he walks me to my car and he was like, I really had a really good time. Like, thank you for coming. And I really, really hope that you will consider like going out with me again. And I was like, well, of course, like I had such a good time. Thank you so much. You know, all the stuff. And we, like, I was going to get in my car, and he was walking away, and I stopped him, I was like, Timmy, and I was like, get back here, (laughs) and he kissed me finally, and I was like, I wasn't, like, gonna leave without you kissing me, like, but I just thought that was so sweet, that he wasn't, like, trying to take advantage of me, and he, like, genuinely liked me, and had like a connection with me which isn't something that you expect from tinder and honestly like I wasn't looking for anything serious even though I wasn't using it as like a hookup I was using it for fun like I'd just gotten out of a really long relationship and I wasn't looking for anything serious and neither was he and he kind of was using it as like a hookup and like meeting people type of thing so eventually later in our relationship he said to me like you know of course like I was using tinder to hook up with people and I wasn't intending on actually dating someone so it just kind of was all fate the way we came across each other the way that we connected when neither one of us were looking for anything serious and fast forward a little bit into our relationship one day we were at Sephora well we were at the mall and I made him stop into Sephora with me and there were these glitter drops from cover fx and I was like oh my gosh I love these but they're like 42 dollars and he was like well get them I'll get them for you and I was like no 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 and he was like insistent on this 
And I'm like, no, absolutely not. And I was like, well, the ones I want are out of stock anyway, so too bad, I guess. And he literally, I went off looking at something else, and he literally went up to the lady at the desk and had her look and make sure they didn't have any more. And they didn't. So I was like, it's like, I don't want you to buy me these glitter drops. They're $42. And he was like, I'm buying you these glitter drops and you're going to come up to the register and you're going to give them your address and they're going to get sent to your house. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that was just the cute, the cutest little thing that he did. And I remember that day we were at Sephora when we were walking out I had seen this sweet peach palette from Too Faced and I said oh my gosh like I have a friend that has this palette I'm obsessed with it like someday I'm gonna get this palette he didn't say anything I didn't say anything I didn't even think about it again so fast forward a little bit more and he finally asked me to be his girlfriend and I'm we had been hanging out for months and I'm like what the heck I was like I thought we had a good connection like I'm waiting to be your girlfriend and he kept saying like Kristen it's not that I don't want you to be my girlfriend I just don't I want to make sure things are right I don't want to make a mistake I don't want to do something wrong I don't want I just need some more time and of course as a girl I'm like well what's wrong with me like why can't he commit to me but so when he finally did ask me to be his girlfriend he actually we had just got done eating I don't even know where we went and I went we went up to his room and he said oh babe like I forgot something in my I don't even remember what he said he forgot now he said I forgot something in my cards in my glove box will you run and grab it for me and I'm like okay sure so I get out to his car and I get down to his glove box and I'm like I see this sweet peach palette and the better than sex mascara because he knew that was like my favorite and I, at first I was like, oh my God, like, did he buy this for me and forget it was in here? Like, am I supposed to be seeing this? So I picked it up, like I flipped it around because it was like upside down and he had wrote open on it with a marker and I opened it and it had a little piece of paper in it that he wrote, will you take on the world with me? And I went upstairs with it and I just like hugged him and he was like, well, is that a yes? And I was like, well, duh, idiot. Like, it's a yes. And I just loved him so much. And I felt so much love from him. And no one had ever done that for me before. Like, I mentioned, like, I was in a very long relationship before I met him. And there was love in that relationship, but Timmy just had a way, like he wore his heart on his sleeve. You knew he loved you, genuinely loved you, and you could just see it and you could feel it. And he would just do small acts of kindness that made you feel so appreciated and like 
so hurt. Like, he bought me that sweet peach palette because one time I had mentioned to him in passing that I loved this palette. And he remembered that. And he incorporated that into him asking me to be his girlfriend because that's just how he was. He he just loved and he just remembered things and he would do like small things to remind you like I hear you I love you and I know this is what you want in alligators you want to see the inside look I'll see you later here come the drama oh that's that nigga with the fake after we officially started dating, um, I was in nursing school and I couldn't continue to go. My car broke down on the way to clinicals and I had to like take a semester off and it was this whole big thing. I was so upset, um, as I've mentioned before and, um, things didn't work out with my roommates and, I had to either make the decision to move into my own place and sign like a year lease or I had to move there and he was like well of course I want you to move here but I was like but the thing is like I'm not gonna live with your parents forever like we need to get a place and he was fine with that surprisingly because I was very nervous about that he had never lived like with a girlfriend alone and um it just kind of showed me how serious he was about like actually wanting to start a future with me and of course he would always say like um we're gonna get married you know I can't wait to call you my wife and he was always very encouraging about school even when I had to um take a semester off he's like I know you're gonna go back and I'm gonna support you through it and I can't wait to like tell everyone that my wife is a nurse. So anyways, I decided to stay there and we stayed with his parents until we found like the perfect house for us and we finally found it. Um, we went and we looked at a couple different houses and um, that was really fun. Like he was just so excited about it because he had never like done that before. So he, when we finally picked the house and like we went in and we signed the lease and we paid for everything, we looked around the house and he was like, imagine what we could do here. And this is going to be Brody's room. And this is going to be Cassie's room. This will be our room. And we're going to put the TV here. And he was just so excited. So on the day we moved in, he was so excited and just loved it and I kind of was having a hard time being away from everything I had known even though I don't have like a lot of family um, in my hometown I was just having a hard time leaving my friends and like all my normal places and he worked a lot so took some time adjusting for me as well but I loved living with him and I loved being with him every day and I loved 
cooking for him and he thought every single thing I made was perfect. He would post pictures on Snapchat and brag about it and he would be like, don't tell my mom, but your chicken dip is even better than my mom's. And I never thought that like I would say that and he just loved it. He loved living together. He loved the family aspect and loved like the thought of like growing old with someone so only about a month after we moved in together we were just starting to settle down just got everything unpacked just got all new furniture that's when it happened we went to bed one night for a couple days before he was acting a little strange like just kind of tired um kind of like in a fog you would say but like you couldn't really put your finger on it like it wasn't like he wasn't like throwing up he wasn't really sick he wasn't like out of it or confused he was just off but it was like hard to explain and the night before Um, He was like laying on my belly and he was like talking about how excited he was and up until that point he was like convinced that it was a boy even though at our last ultrasound that was like about a week before they said they thought it was a girl but they couldn't be for sure yet because everything wasn't completely developed so they were like you'll be back in like five weeks and we'll be able to tell you for sure and But up until that point, he said, it's a boy, it's a boy. But that night before, he was like rubbing my tummy and he was like, I can't believe we're going to have a little baby together. And he was just so excited and he was like, maybe I do want it to be a girl. Like, I can't imagine how much I will love this baby. And at one point he said, um... The only thing better than having one of you would be having another one. And so it was really up at that point that he like kind of accepted that it was a girl and was excited about it. So anyways, we went on with our night and Cassie had went to bed and we, he said, why don't we play cards before we go to bed? Um, we played cards and he was kind of like falling asleep and just really tired. So I was getting annoyed with him. I was like, you wanted to play cards and like, I don't want to deal with this. You're falling asleep. Let's just go to bed. And we walked up the stairs and I went in the bedroom. He went to the bathroom. He came in. I remember him turning on the fan sitting up at the side of the bed and he was like, oh, I have like a headache. I'm I'm not really feeling well. You know, there's some guys at work that are coming down with something. I think I might be coming down with something. And I just didn't say anything. And I went to sleep. And the next morning, Cassie woke me up. And I thought I heard him snoring. Because anybody who knew him knew he snored like crazy. And... I'll get to that in a second here, but Cassie woke me up, 
she asked me if she could go downstairs and watch TV. And I said, yeah, sure. So she goes downstairs. I look at my phone. This whole time I'm thinking he's snoring. I know this sounds crazy, but he snored like so loudly that it was just like so normal. Like I slept right through it and he had like sleep apnea real bad. So he would like stop breathing at night and everything. And no matter, of course, no matter what you said, he wouldn't go to the doctors or get anything for it. Um, he, um, so I like turned over and he was laying on his back and I'm laying on my side. So like, I'm not even really, I didn't even really realize what was going on. And I tried waking him up and it was nothing. And that when I sat up, that's when I realized like something is very wrong. And I, I sat up and I just can't even explain to you what I saw. Like he was just lifeless. Like, eyes half open, the blue lips pale, and it was terrifying. Like, I work in the nursing field. I see death every single day. I see, I've seen crazy things, and it was just terrifying being in that position of somebody that you love because you don't ever expect that you're going to be the one making the 911 call. And I don't, I just remember yelling, Timmy. And I called 911. The ambulance came. Um, we were upstairs. So they had to call for backup because they had to like carry him down and everything just happened so fast but I remember like helping them like I would not leave and I had my seven-year-old daughter opening the door for them telling them where we were because I just would not leave him because I was terrified that he was going to stop breathing and I was like I have to be here if he needs CPR I, I have to be and I just wouldn't leave and they they had me like help them get him on the thing that they used to carry him down the stairs and I like followed them down the stairs most of the way to make sure that he didn't stop breathing and I just kept thinking like he's still breathing he's gonna be okay and um the hospital was like two minutes if that away from our house but he was dead on arrival when they got to the hospital and um, they did CPR on him and it took them 20 minutes to revive him. So of course the doctors are concerned, but it was a very tiny hospital. So they said, we don't know anything. We're going to ship him out. So they shipped him out to Mount Nittany in state college and they started him on like this hypothermia thing that they do where they cool the body down to try to preserve brain energy, like brain energy and brain activity. And they, they're a very good hospital, but they 
also aren't like completely equipped for everything so they thought that maybe his brain was swelling and they were like we need to ship him out of here immediately because we think his brain is swelling and we don't have the neurologist surgical neurologist or whatever it was that could perform a surgery to relieve that pressure and so they shipped him out again I found him on a Sunday morning he got shipped to state college Sunday a couple hours later and then he got shipped again Monday night so he was there for roughly 36 hours and he got shipped to Geisinger in Danville and they just kind of were like we don't know like we did CT scans but they only kind of show you a general idea of like the damage where the damage might be but they don't really show much so we had to wait until he was stable enough to get on get an MRI so they took him off all sedation and there was like no improvement which isn't good but we kind of kept on to that hope that well you never know um I think it takes people some more time to respond and we got the MRI results back and um it wasn't good um a lot I'm not a doctor by any means but um a lot of his brain was dead but of course um anybody who's been through this with brain injuries with strokes doctors always say we can't predict the outcome no this is not good um I knew from things that I've learned in nursing school things that I've seen that it probably wasn't going to be a good outcome because of because of the parts that, of the brain that were dead. But um, they were kind of saying that with his issue, um, he had an all over brain injury because of the going into cardiac arrest. Um, when you lose the oxygen to your brain, it's not one part of your brain affected it's all parts and it happens globally so most of the parts of his brain were affected but they weren't all completely dead because he didn't go completely without oxygen so they said you know like the brain a lot of the time over like compensates for other parts of the brain that have died and we just don't know how well this recovery is going to go. And I think I've just always kind of knew that it wasn't going to be good and that he was never going to be the person that I fell in love with, regardless of whether he would wake up or not. So um, it was kind of just the decision that everyone made that we were going to give it some time and give him some time. Um, eventually, he woke up up technically but he never came out of a vegetative state so he was off all sedation medications and he would open his eyes and he would go through the normal like sleeping cycles but 
his neuro checks were not good. Um, for anybody who knows anything about nursing, I had to learn uh, neuro checks when I was in nursing school. And uh, basically, he was doing the his neuro checks in his neuro checks they were he was doing reflexes of an infant and not an adult so that wasn't good um and that's kind of how I predict that he would have been forever would literally be um in that vegetative state where he would never um be able to talk again um or anything because it was just no improvement and it was such a short amount of time so you never know but it just wasn't good and um eventually um what finally made him pass was he had back to the condition I found him in So, to give you a little rundown to make this part kind of make sense, um, like I said, I'm not a doctor. I only heard what I heard, and I only processed it in the way that my brain can process it, but from my understanding, um, from what we found out in the hospital and what we know from the coroner, from what I was told was a blood clot to the brain which they had found um, DVTs, which are blood clots in your legs, which are very dangerous because they're in like a central vein or something like that. So they found those in his leg when he was in the hospital. And he, they were kind of like beside and behind like, kind of like behind his right knee and he had arthritis in that knee because he had torn his meniscus in high school so he had pain in that knee and so that is kind of the reason that he didn't know about these blood clots he was going he was telling me not too long before this I noticed he was complaining more about his knee but his knee always hurt so like it didn't throw up red flags for me didn't throw red flags up for him um but now like in hindsight like looking back, he was complaining more about that knee than usual. So he probably was having the pain of those blood clots, but didn't, didn't think anything of it. And so anyways, um, my understanding is that a blood clot dislodged and went to his brain, which happens, um, You know, they can go to your lungs, they can go to your brain, um, if they're not taken care of or go unnoticed. So, 
this isn't all that uncommon, but of course you don't think it's going to happen to you. You don't think it's going to happen to the person you love, especially not at 24 years old, but it happens. Um, and then whenever I found him, the breathing that I thought was snoring was because he had aspirated. So basically he had thrown up and not been able to move because of the stroke and inhaled into his lungs. So back to the hospital. So what eventually made him not make it was he had developed pneumonia, which was pretty much, we were told that was going to happen. It was expected that he would develop pneumonia from the aspiration, but also because he wasn't able to get up and move around. So he was being treated by antibiotics, but for whatever reason, the pneumonia was too strong or maybe had a different strain of bacteria than what the antibiotic was capable of killing and he went septic which means that when you have like an infection in your body somewhere that doesn't get treated or doesn't go away and it moves to your blood so it's very very dangerous even for like you or I or anybody completely healthy very dangerous it can kill anyone but he was also already in such a terrible state that he was just done for pretty much and it I I think I finally came to the realization that this is going to have to end when the physician's assistant came out and said listen um we're delaying the inevitable here um his organs had completely pretty much healed themselves he was doing well he was almost off the ventilator even though his mental state was not um he wasn't himself he wasn't he was in a vegetative state but physically his body his organs had healed and he was about to become breathing on his own that all in a matter of hours completely backtracked kidneys had shut down again his organs were shutting down again he was completely on full ventilation again and it was just kind of like enough is enough and um his family and all of us and his friends I think kind of just knew that we had to let it go even though it was devastating and we all were there and um I think it took First, they start started by just taking him down, like turning the ventilation kind of off, but not completely. So like when he would trigger it, it would still go off, like just so you don't suffocate pretty much. But the thing, it was taking forever. Like he was fighting so hard, his body was fighting so hard. So even just with that little bit, He was just hanging on. And so they gave him more medications to completely um, take the pain away and ensure that he would not um, feel like he was suffocating or suffering. 
and they finally took him off completely and I think it took about I think they said maybe eight minutes or ten minutes um and he finally was gone completely so it was really hard um thank god that his family was there and his friends and because I definitely couldn't have done it alone (laughs) but um it was pretty hard it was really hard and it's traumatizing I I think about it all the time um I miss him so so much fuck you James Franklin you suck at coaching (laughs) whenever I try to explain to me to people it's kind of hard to explain because I personally have a hard time explaining things if you know me you know how true that is but um he was just so funny like he was so funny so outgoing so charismatic so confident in himself um but he wasn't like egotistic he wasn't like cocky or rude he was just there like everyone knew his presence and he was caring and kind and he was understanding like he was the type of person that you would go to about anything because for whatever reason like even if he hadn't been through it or whatever like he just had a way of understanding things and like understanding situations and he could give you advice on something he had like absolutely no experience with because he was just like so logical and reasonable and I would get so mad because girls would like message him like telling him about like their problems and all this shit and I'd be like why is this bitch messaging you like but like when I look back on it now like he just had that way about him like you just felt safe talking to him you felt like you were talking to someone who really got you who really understood you and had like real like advice and when we would go somewhere like I said like his presence was known and he could just go somewhere and not know a single person and know every single person by the time he left and I seriously don't think I met a person who like didn't care for him or didn't like him so many people would come up to me and say things like oh you know Timmy is such a good guy like you are so lucky to have him he is the sweetest guy ever and I like knew that already and it was like he was completely not real in a sense like he was like the best of all worlds Like, you want a nice guy, but you don't want too nice of a guy. You don't want somebody who's a pushover. You want someone who challenges you, but doesn't put you down. And you want someone who's, like, kind and caring and emotional, but not, like, sappy or, like, not 
a pussy, basically. <laughs> like, you want someone who is sexy and confident, but you don't want someone who makes you feel like you're ugly in comparison to them or that you're lucky that they would be with someone like you or um just I don't know like it's hard to explain like he was just such a good balance between all aspects that you want there wasn't like one thing that he lacked in and I was just constantly like in awe and it was like one of those things like well this has to be too good to be true you know there's no way that someone so perfect loves me so much but is like there has to be a catch and it's just sucks that someone like him who was so appreciative about everything and just loved life he loved nature he loved fishing he loved hunting but he liked to stay at home and cuddle on the couch and watch tv and watch movies and he appreciated life around him he appreciated where he lived he appreciated my time he appreciated everything I did if I cooked if I cleaned he thanked me for everything and he thought everything I did was perfect the way I cooked the way I cleaned the way I dressed the, my makeup my hair everything he would just say like I don't know how you can do everything so perfectly and I'm like I don't but he just appreciated life and appreciated everything and one thing when something like this happens to somebody like that you kind of hear stories and your friends that are going through man problems and when you hear stories of wives complaining about their husbands and how their husbands aren't emotional or they aren't this or that and I just can't help but think to myself like why did someone so perfect and so happy and so kind have to die when there are so many people who don't appreciate life who don't appreciate their kids or their wives or or dads who don't give a shit about their kids and they just continue to live their life however they want but someone who prided himself in being a dad and someone who would have been the perfect example to his children of how to be as a father or what to look for in a man is gone and one thing that really really makes sense if you've been through something like this is people don't understand you lose people to death all the time and you lose grandparents and parents and and people like that but until you lose somebody so close to you that you were supposed to spend the rest of your life with it's different and you don't like I said understand that until you go through it because people say oh you know if 
if my husband would die, um, I would have to go on for my kids and I would be all right. Of course, I would be devastated, but I'd be all right. And the thing is, like, until you're in that, yeah, you have to survive and you have to live and you have to continue, but you're not all right. And sometimes it comes to a point, and I know this from talking to everyone who's been through it, everyone I've talked to has said the same things, like, sometimes your kids are not enough, and that's not enough of a motivation as bad as that sounds. You think, my kid would be better off without me. You think my kid lost the best parent, or whatever the case may be, and you love your kids and honest to God, that's the only thing that's kept me going, but that's not your only motivation because as I said, like that's not always, that's not always enough because you just want the pain to go away. You, the pain that you feel is so undescribable that you don't get it unless you've been through it and when people say things like you will move on you're young blah 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 no like I'm not going to move on there's never ever 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 I will learn to move forward with it I will learn to love again but I will never move on I will never be healed There's always going to be times of the year or things that happen with our child that is not going to be easy without him. And I wanted to share with you, for those of you who don't know who Nora McInerney is, I have discovered her throughout this whole process. She is a woman who lost her husband to cancer and she has like a podcast and she's written some books and I read her one book um, called No Happy Endings, but she, in a TED talk that she did, she speaks on the topic about um, moving forward and not moving on despite what other people say. And one quote that I wanted to use because I just felt it in my heart when she said it it says grief is the one is one of those things like falling in love or having a baby or watching the wire on HBO where you don't get it until you get it until you do it but once you do it once it's your love or your baby once it's your grief in your front row at the funeral you get it you understand that what you're going through is not a moment in time It's not a bone that will reset, but that you've been touched by something chronic, something incurable. It's not fatal, but sometimes grief grief feels like it could be. And I just relate to that so much because I've always, and this is probably kind of a character flaw in me, I've always felt like people don't understand how I feel because when I express how I feel, it just feels like no one quite feels things the same way that I do and whenever you go through something like this people seriously don't get know what you're going through 
and you just feel like you're alone. And for me personally, I don't have family. I don't have aunts and uncles that I can rely on, nobody that I've ever been close to. I don't have cousins. I don't have siblings. Like, I don't have people that I can go to. I mean, I'm going to have this baby on my own. Like, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be in the delivery room by myself, delivering my child by myself without her dad, without the love of my life. I'm going to take this child home by myself with no help, with nothing, and you don't realize that this these are things that people go through. You know, you don't realize when you have that support system or when you haven't lost someone that close to you that people do go through this and they do it on their own and they don't have a choice. So whenever I listen to that TED talk, I just felt like someone finally got it. Someone finally got it. Someone finally said, what you are feeling is right. And sometimes, like she said, it does feel like you're going to die. It feels like you can't come out of this and you feel hopeless and you feel scared and you miss that person. You didn't even, oh my god, I'm getting so mad. Matt, you didn't even watch the game. I don't know, it's like pissed you off. Timmy's little brother Matt wanted me to share a few stories with you that he said are some of his favorites. So the first one, he said, my most recent and very last funny moment with Timmy was the day he was in a car wreck. It was 6 a.m. in the middle of a snowstorm. I had just bought a used car with bald tires on it and Timmy calls me and says, I wrecked my car. It's bad, but I'm okay. Please don't tell Kristen. She will be so pissed, which is so true. I was so pissed. (laughs) So I somehow found him on top of a mountain that looks like it hadn't been plowed all winter long and you can only see one pair of tire tracks on the road and of course it was Timmy's. An hour had went by and I called Timmy and I said, can you hear my car? Do you see my headlights? Where are you? Am I even on the right mountain? And Timmy told me to just keep honking my horn, so I did. And four minutes later, he calls me and says, I hear you, keep driving. And I get to the bottom of this steep hill and all I can think is how the hell is my car going to make it up? I try to speed up to get a good head start and I look up and all I see is big Timmy walking down the mountain in the pouring down snow, negative 20 degrees wind chills and he's wearing cut off, a cut off and shorts while drinking a protein shake. He gets in the car and I say, do you need anything else out of your car or can we go home? And he says, holding up his protein shake. This is all I need right here, buddy. It's so funny because it's so true. Like, 
he literally would just wear like t-shirt and shorts like every single day pretty much even whenever it was like negative degrees outside and the second one is another funny memory is two summers ago on vacation at Wildwood, New Jersey. The whole family went down to the beach at like 6 p.m. Lifeguards are gone, off duty, and everyone has already left the beach for the most part. Well, this terrible storm comes running through, but it was our last day and we hadn't gone fishing yet, so we all decided to go out anyways and go fishing. Long story short, Timmy got drunk out of his mind, just trying to find the most fun out of the chaos and my sister's boyfriend Josh gets in a kayak while holding my fishing line with a dead bloody fish on my line and says he's gonna kayak out 300 300 yards and drop my line so I'm not so I'm out past the waves so I'll for sure catch a fish well not even 80 yards out the kayak tips over from hitting a huge wave my hook the size of a human's fist got stuck on the side of Josh's head and the kayak is filling up with water and sinking and out of nowhere Timmy drunk out of his mind jumps up out of his chair and yells no worry Josh no big deal just a big storm coming Timmy to the rescue the kayak sank completely and when it's full of water it feels like it's about 100 or 200 pounds and Timmy went out in the water, I don't know, 500 feet deep ocean water, grabs the kayak in one arm and Josh in the other. I don't know how the hook didn't severely injure Josh, but it somehow got wrapped over the kayak and all I can hear is Timmy yelling, go ahead, Matt, reel us in, bud. I love those stories. He actually told me about that and just... The way that Matt, like, explains him and the things that he said is just so true to his character and so how he was. Come on, it would be... Exactly, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would, I would some as well. She'd be dead. First 48, here I am. Yeah. I didn't even do nothing. I like that. I want to end this episode by reading what I wrote and what I said at his funeral. Of course, at his funeral, I was a mess, I was emotional, and I screwed up a bunch of times, but I'm going to read you what I wrote. From the moment I started talking to Timmy, I realized how genuine of a person he really was, even before I actually met him. I basically had to talk him into going on a date with me. I was at Red Robin with my family, and I said, Maybe you should take me out to Red Robin someday. And he said, I'm thinking more Texas Roadhouse. And the rest was history. The first day I met him, we clicked instantly. We just talked and ate and watched movies for at least 24 hours. The first time I saw him with Brody, I think was the moment that I knew I wanted to be with him forever. The moment that he... The love that he had for his son was so precious, and I knew I wanted my future children to feel that love as well. When I found out I was pregnant, he was so scared, but he was so excited to start our lives together. Timmy took me from a self-conscious and insecure girl and made me feel like I was strong, beautiful, and deeply loved every single day. We always say that we can't imagine our lives without the person that we love. 
We don't think when we get a video in, of them inclining 405 that four days later you are going to find him practically lifeless beside you in the bed that you shared with him every night up until that point. You don't think when you kissed him or hugged him the day before that that was going to be the last time you ever felt him again. You don't think that you will watch your big strong man waste away to almost nothing in a few short weeks until he finally takes his last breath with you, his family, and his closest friends by his side. The love I felt for him was something that I can never forget and no one could ever measure up to. I used to joke and say that if I ever died that he'd have to get in the casket with me because I didn't want him moving on. But now that it's the other way around, I wish I could do just that. I don't know if I will ever love again, but I do know that I will that I will never find anyone like him again. Because there was no one like him. Timmy was the only person I knew that could walk into a room full of people and be friends with every single one of them by the end of the night. He was so outgoing and so funny, but he was always so genuine and so kind as well. I have so many amazing memories in such a short amount of time but there are two that are my absolute favorite because it truly reflects him as a friend and as a boyfriend. The first one was the night of the McGregor and Khabib fight. He was literally so excited for that night for weeks beforehand. He talked about it every day. On that day, I got entirely too drunk that he had to take me home hours before the fight even started. Although he let me know how upset he was about that, weeks later, on that night, he took me home bought me food and we spent the rest of the night talking about everything from our childhood memories to our futures together. I apologized at least a hundred times that night and all he would tell me was that he loved me more than anything in the world so if he had to miss that fight to make sure I was safe that's what he was going to do. My second is when I was on my way to clinicals for school and broke down two hours away from him. I called him bawling because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue on with the program and that I would have to try to get back in the next year because you can only miss so much clinicals. He came and picked me up, bought me food because he was always buying me food and called off work and spent the whole day with me because I was so upset. I think the thing I will miss the most is how well he calmed me. No matter what I was going through, he always made me feel like I was going to be okay and that we would make it through whatever problem I was facing together. Although we didn't have one song that was ours in particular, there was one that we both liked and he mentioned that he felt like it described us best. It's titled Him and I. As I was listening to that song on the way home from the hospital, one day, one part stuck out to me. It says, wouldn't see the point in living on if one of us died. I never put much thought into that part of the song before, but when it became my reality, I realized that even though I have to live on for my children, there will always be a piece of me missing. There will always be a hole in my heart and my light will forever be a little dimmer until we meet again. If there are any last words that I would want to say to Timmy, it would simply be thank you. In the short amount of time I had the pri privilege of loving you, I felt a love I had never felt before, so deeply and overwhelming, and you made me feel that I was loved 
just as much. You had a love, we had a love that most people wait a lifetime for, and 60 more years wouldn't have been long enough. Hey, baby. I'm just getting off work. I figured I'd give you a call. I know you've had a long day. I figured you'd be sleeping, but I figured I'd just try you anyway. All right. Get some sleep, beautiful. I love you.